Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. Uh, we have another special edition, an on-the-road edition of the Junkyard Dogcast. we got with us today Patrick Murphy from Bucknuts247, our Ohio State website. Uh, he is in Atlanta as well as myself, and Kip Adams was running around here today as part of Media Day. Uh, the countdown, we're only a few days away now from this big matchup in the Peach Bowl. Uh, Patrick, how is this Thursday treating you? How has this week in Atlanta been? Especially, I know you guys up there uh, in Ohio State, uh, up there in Ohio. Sounds like y'all had quite a uh, trip to get down here to Atlanta. Yeah, the trip was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the trip was interesting. Uh, flights canceled, ended up driving, but uh, we got here. We're good to go. The last few days have been great. <clears throat> the weather is certainly better than it was in Ohio. So um, it's been good to be down here, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, and get the the coverage going for this game so far. Yeah, I think you're battling the same thing I have all week. It's that time of year where uh, you're just trying to stay healthy. And, hey, it's it's basically one day at a time and trying to make it uh, through uh, another long season, both, both for coaches and players, but also the media as well. Uh, Patrick, I want to start with this week. Um, we've had a chance to listen to coaches and players on both sides, had a chance to um, you know pick the brains of some of these guys, sort of what they're expecting going into Saturday. What has struck you the most about the Ohio State players and coaches you've talked to, if there's anything that has really stood out about what they've been saying about this game and what they're expecting to see against Georgia? Yeah, well, first of all, they do not want to talk about the Michigan game anymore. Uh, that has been made very clear, though they keep getting asked about it. Uh, but I think there's a, a good sense of confidence from this team and, and not overconfidence or cockiness or, or anything like that. You know, there's certainly a respect for what Georgia's done, not just this year, but last year and, and beyond that. Uh, but I also think they know, look, they were one of the top two, three teams in the country for much of the season, right? And I don't think they view it as, as much as they did kind of back with their way into it. They felt like they were supposed to be here. And I think the players have made that clear. Uh, the coaches, I think, just just realized that if if things had gone differently, if they'd handled things differently in that Michigan game, you know, you're you're talking about this is a potential national championship matchup as opposed to a semifinal matchup. So, you know, I think we're getting a, a game that that everyone kind of expected. We're just getting it around earlier, and I think that's probably even the case from the players and coaches even though they won't come out and say it in so many words. Tell me about this Ohio State team kind of looking big picture. They go 11-1. and one. You, you mentioned the Michigan game, which has been talked to death this week. Uh, I know that at one point uh, there was a question in the main room of uh, someone wanted uh, the players to compare Georgia to a Big Ten team, and, and I can't remember which player said it, but he said, I know what team you want me to say, and I'm not going to say it. He's talking about Michigan. But big picture, what this team has accomplished to this point, um, and, and you know, what went wrong against Michigan, but where this team stands going into, again, standing two wins away from a national championship given everything they've gone through. Well, I'd break this season down into two halves, uh, which, which worked out nicely because Ohio State's bye week was directly in the middle of the season. So first half, you know, they come out, play well against Notre Dame, get that win. Obviously, Notre Dame wasn't the team people thought they were at the beginning of the year, but it's still, you know, a, uh, a marquee win to start the season. And, and that, I think, kind of rolled pretty well for the first half of the season. You get to the bye week. 
there were some things that they certainly needed to address. Some guys were banged up, things like that. But it was that second half of the year where it was just inconsistent. Um, and, you know, High State's winning. Most of the games they're winning convincingly. But if, you know, you're, you're covering it like I am, if you're, uh, you know, one of the diehard fans that we have on our message boards and things like that, there, there were definitely some questions that started to emerge. Uh, the defense, which had gone under this change with Jim Knowles coming in in the offseason, started to give up some more big plays than expected offensively. Some of the games, they just didn't have it. Now there were, you know, they played in this crazy windstorm when they played at Northwestern. Uh, you know, I'd never been in conditions like that standing on the sideline there. So there were kind of ways that everybody could justify it. But I think you go into that Michigan game thinking Ohio State's going to win because they're at home and there's this revenge narrative. And they just never really kicked it into gear in that game. And, and I think there were signs that that was coming. And now whether or not that, you know, gets them to that next level, if that's kind of the wake-up call they need, they go to that Michigan game. I State actually played pretty well despite the final score. It was 2017 at halftime. Michigan had two big plays. Ohio State had driven up and down the field and just couldn't punch it into the end zone. They finally got a big play right before halftime when C.J. Stroud hit Marvin Harrison Jr. for a, a big pass, and you thought, okay, they'll come out in the second half. They'll take care of business. Michigan made adjustments, and Ohio State really never adjusted to that. Michigan got the running game going. I think they only had 10 rushing yards in the first half, and uh, you know the rest is kind of history. The offense sputtered the rest of the way. So you know, in in order to to you know be confident in this team, you have to think that they will take what they did against Michigan and, and try and fix some things. They've had over a month now to prepare for for Georgia and and also reevaluate what they did in that second half of the year, but. Yeah, it was a strange year because, I mean, you look at a lot of the scores of the games, they look dominant against teams like Indiana and whatnot, but they also had some struggles with a team like Maryland in the second to last game of the season. So, and, and then obviously the Michigan game. So it, it was a, a bit of a roller coaster for this team that maybe people didn't see coming, especially with the way they played that first half of the year. I want to talk about a number of positions for Ohio State. and I want to start with quarterback. C.J. Stroud has another strong year, winds up in New York once again. What has stood out to you the most about C.J. through this season, um, his strengths and maybe areas that he does need to improve upon when we get to the field on Saturday? Well, he's certainly got one of the best arms in Ohio State history, maybe the best. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy who's able to place a ball uh, the way that he has as, as an Ohio State quarterback. And there's been some good ones of late. Obviously, Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins had a, a cannon of an arm and was also very accurate. But CJ's got a touch. You know, the players talk about the way that, you know, he makes it easy for them to catch the ball. Um, it's not rocketed in there when it doesn't need to be, things like that. And that's always been a strength for CJ. He's just continued to build on that um, from last year to this season. I think – where he could improve, the, the biggest knock from an Ohio State fan perspective has been the fact that he won't run the ball. And, you know, coming from a guy like Justin Fields, who is more than willing to run the ball, uh, that was a big shock to the system. Even a Dwayne Haskins back in the day wasn't a, a big runner, but he would run it when he needed to. And, and CJ's done that a little bit. He did it against Northwestern in that storm that I mentioned where he couldn't throw the ball like normal, but I don't know if he's been told not to run the ball, if he's worried about getting hurt, whatever the case may be. I mean, there were times against Michigan, and, and you can point this out throughout his career, but specifically in that game where, you know, he steps up in the pocket, there's a hole, he can get five to 10 yards. 
and he just waits to, to try and throw the ball. And it's, it's very, you know, old school pocket passer kind of mentality. And he has the arm to do it. But if you can pick up five to 10 yards on, on those easy scrambles, Ohio State fans would love to see that. That was what they were used to seeing from quarterbacks in the past. The other thing I will say with CJ, because he has such a good arm, I feel like Ohio State, from a coaching staff perspective, offensively, has you know wanted to use that more than maybe they need to. Like some of these simple routes and things that we used to see just don't happen very often anymore. There hasn't been much action to the running back in the passing game, the mesh routes that Ohio State was so successful with, mostly under Urban Meyer, but but partially under Ryan Day. They haven't done a lot of that. It's it's almost like, look, you've got CJ Stroud, you've got these receivers. Let's let's make these difficult throws. And I think sometimes you just can take the take the easy thing, get a guy in space, toss the ball to him, pick up 10 to 15 yards. Um, so I, you know, look, I think CJ back-to-back Heisman Trophy finalists, it speaks for itself, right? But there certainly are negatives that, you know, if if you can alter that in this game, if he can run the ball a little bit, if you take some of the easy things, I think that makes life easier for this Ohio State offense. You mentioned the running backs and and obviously not having Travion Henderson, second leading rusher, obviously a concern. Um, Where does things stand with the running backs, especially after the, the viewing period on Wednesday? It seemed like there were also some more questions about running backs. Yeah, Mayan Williams, who is the team's leading rusher, uh, wasn't. A, he was supposed to be available for us earlier this week. They switched him out for another running back. At the time, we were told he was sick. He wasn't at practice Wednesday. He wasn't at media day today. But when we got to practice on uh, just a little bit ago on Thursday, he was out there. Um, now, we only saw a little bit. The running backs weren't doing a ton, but he was working with the running backs, going through drills and things like that. So, I have to assume that he was dealing with a bug uh, and, you know, it was just, hey, let's let's get you healthy. Let's not have it spread throughout the team and we'll get you back out into practice here in a few days. And, you know, obviously they still have a couple of days before the game. You mentioned Travion Henderson. He was the guy who coming into the year, I think most people thought would be this breakout um, superstar, had a great freshman season and was, was looking to build on that. And. The first few games, it, it looked really good. Him and Mayan Williams were splitting carries. They seemed to be in a nice rhythm. But as injuries crept up, and both of them dealt with it throughout the year, um, Trayvon Henderson just didn't look the way he did a year ago. And, and we found out after the Michigan game, he posted on social media that he had been dealing with broken or torn ligaments in his foot, was going to have surgery, so he won't play in this game. And, and all of a sudden, it makes sense. A guy who can be so, you know, he's he's kind of a, a – Reggie Bush, I don't want to put that on him, but like that type of player where he can make guys miss, he can do some pretty ridiculous things with the ball in his hand, and he wasn't doing that. And, you know, it was a lot of straight line stuff, and we have torn ligaments in your foot. That, that makes a little, a little bit more sense why. Um, so they won't have him, which, you know, is, is unfortunate, but they've played without him some this year. And then uh, Down Hayden, freshman running back, has played well when he's gotten the opportunity kind of to, to back up those guys. Um, Chip Trainum, who was a running back at Arizona State, transferred to Ohio State this offseason. He's from Ohio, had a good relationship with the staff. He moved to linebacker, was supposed to help with depth there this year, and they have now moved him back to running back for at least the end of this season. Um, you know, talented player, really fast, but we really haven't seen a ton. He took most of the carries against Michigan after Mayan left the game because he was dealing with, um, I think, a knee injury in that game. But, uh, you know, 
they went away from that in the second half when they got down. So we've heard good things about Chip Traynham all year, both sides of the ball. We haven't seen a ton of it. You know, I think he only has something like 15 carries. Um, but Dallin Hayden's an interesting one. He, he can do some things. Ryan Day seemed hesitant to go to him. You know, it took until Travion Henderson got injured against Maryland for him to get out there. And it was clear Travion Henderson wasn't right. Finally, they go to Dallin Hayden. Dallin Hayden has over 100 yards and three touchdowns. So kid's talented. Um, you know, I don't know if there's issues with fumbling in practice or something along those lines, but they haven't been completely willing to just say, hey, the other guys are hurt. Here's the ball. Go be the guy. We'll see what the carry breakdown is um, when we get to the game Saturday. But I do expect Mayan Williams to be a part of the game plan for sure. Definitely something to watch and obviously would be a big boost to have him on Saturday. Uh, be remiss, Patrick, not to bring up Ohio State's receivers because it's been a huge talking point uh, on the Georgia side as far as getting their perspective going back to since this game was announced. Uh, obviously not having Jackson Smith and Jigba considerable, uh, but also just the amount of production they have at wide receiver. Um, can you just talk about the different options they have and uh, just how effective those guys have been throughout the season. You know, the Jackson injury is, you know, they've dealt with it pretty much all season. He played in the Notre Dame game, got hurt the first half, tried to come back a couple weeks later, played part of the first half, then tried to come back against Iowa. And the second half of the season, again, same thing, made it about till halftime. So they really haven't had him, which was a blow for sure. This offense was tailored around – you know, C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson, Jackson Smith and Jigba primarily. And, uh, you know, Jackson's missed pretty much the whole season. So that changed things. But I think at this point, they're used to life without Jackson and, you know, been successful otherwise. Marvin Harrison Jr. obviously had a breakout season, was a Blitnikoff finalist. You know, he's he's got his dad's ability and work ethic, which is probably the, the best trait he has. Um but, you know, his dad, who is a pro football Hall of Famer after playing with Peyton Manning and the Colts, didn't have the same kind of size. You know, Marvin Harrison is your ideal X wide receiver in, in terms of his build and whatnot. And when I mentioned earlier, C.J. Stroud, you know, the, the play calling trying to be more difficult than need to be. Marvin Harrison has usually been on the end of some of those difficult throws. Yes, C.J. puts it in really good spots, but Marvin still has to make the catch. Um, he's done that more times than not. I think he has one drop this season, and unfortunately for them, it came against Michigan. He's he's been more than reliable, and and you know I think probably even more. Um, they've light, leaned on him probably more than they expected to, especially with the Jackson injury. And Emeka Buka is kind of the I, I don't want to say forgotten guy because he's definitely not that, but he's quietly put together a thousand yard season. His numbers aren't that far off from Marvin Harrison's. Yep he's not getting talked about nearly as much. Um, he'll be more of the the slot receiver primarily when they're in three receiver looks. Uh, he, he, he is, I mean, he was a five-star prospect. He was one of the top receivers in the country two years ago, coming out of uh, Washington. He's, a, you know, a, as talented as, as Ohio state's had did, did probably deal with some injuries. He kind of alluded to that at points. He didn't miss any games, but wasn't as dependable the second half of the season. So we'll see if this month or so has, has helped him get right. They will use Cade Stover, the tight end, in, in uh, the passing game some, but his production fell off kind of the second half of the year as well. Julian Fleming, um, a guy who's battled injuries throughout his career, has finally gotten somewhat healthy this year, is the, the number three wide receiver. He'll line up on the outside when they're in three wide receiver sets. Talented, can can make a play. You know, he's a guy who could potentially – 
have a, you know, a, a big touchdown out of nowhere if, if you're too focused on the other guys. But, you know, he, he still, even when he's said he's fully healthy, he's never looked like the player they thought he was getting. They were getting out of high school. He's the number one receiver in his class a few years ago. So, um, you know, just hasn't had the production, but can still make a play. And obviously when you have CJ Stroud throwing the ball, it makes life easier on all those guys. Take a quick break, come back, talk about Ohio State's defense throughout this season, and then look to Saturday, talk about the matchups, talk about what we expect to see in Atlanta's Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But first, we'll take a quick break. Welcome back, everybody. Well, Patrick, kind of looking big picture at this defense, first one with Jim Knowles, who comes over from Oklahoma State. Um, what stands out to you as far as the strengths of this defense and maybe some of the things that have given them trouble, maybe particularly when you look at that Michigan loss? The strengths, I mean, from from the get-go, were they want to kind of dictate the the offense uh, dictate defense to the offense more so than, than be reactionary. And Jim Knowles talked about that a lot this offseason, and we did get to see it you know, early on. I mentioned that Notre Dame game. Um, you know, they, they do some different things pre-snap. He's got what he calls the, the jack position, which is kind of a defensive end, linebacker, hybrid. Um, that guy moves around quite a bit. The linebackers do a lot of, you know, th- this isn't anything crazy in these this football, but you know, do a lot, line up in different places. We'll, we'll, you know, be at the line of scrimmage, then back out. One will go, one will not. Um, it's, it's funny to say because obviously, you know, just two years ago, High State was in the national championship game. But what stood out to me the most the first few games of the season was guys were just doing their job. You know, the simple things that, that you kind of take for granted that maybe Ohio State wasn't doing defensively the last two years, you know, being in the right position, making tackles, things like that. Um, so it was clear that Jim Knowles had, had worked with these guys, discipline, uh, you know, they, they also brought in two new secondary coaches. So that was a change, um, in terms of kind of the way they were doing things schematically, but in terms of what went wrong against Michigan, and and I kind of detailed this in, in the written piece I did with you, it came down to five big plays, uh, that, that were, that was where Michigan got their five touchdowns. Uh, well, that was five of the touchdowns and, one was a missed tackle after they went cover zero and brought the house. Uh, cornerback Cameron Brown just didn't didn't get to the receiver, um, and you know the, the blitz didn't get there either. It was it was pretty close to getting to JJ McCarthy. He made a nice play on it. The second one, two defensive backs ran into each other. <laughs> it was you know nothing you can do there schematically. Um, and then they had another big play. I'm trying to recall exactly what happened on that. I think it was more just a busted coverage. With, with J.J. McCarthy kind of getting out of the pocket and guys looking in the backfield. And then they gave up two long runs late, two long runs, I think 75 and 85 yards. One of them I would certainly say was a schematic issue. Guys seemed to be misaligned. I don't know if, if it was planned that way or something happened, but based on how the running back was, was lined up, I think he was to the left of the quarterback. They were all shifted to the wrong side, and there was a gap, and he hit it and went 85 yards. Um, so other than that, I mean, I think – I did the numbers yesterday. Michigan had something like 515 total yards, and I think like 320 came from those plays. So, you know, if you eliminate those plays, and I know you can't eliminate those plays from a game, you know, the, the defense played well on pretty much every other snap. So I think Jim Knowles has done a good job of, of getting this defense that really struggled uh, the last two seasons 
you know, even statistically, you look at the numbers, you know, they were a top 10 defense pretty much all season. That Michigan game, I think, bumped them to 11 or 12 in, in terms of total yards allowed. But there's definitely playing a lot better. It's just those mistakes. And when we saw some of those throughout the year, and Jim Knowles said on numerous occasions, look, if you can limit your opponent to five or fewer of those explosive plays in the game, you're probably going to go undefeated. I think that's probably true for most of the games. And, and obviously Ohio State was undefeated. I think if you do five big plays and those plays go for touchdowns against a team like Michigan and certainly against a team like Georgia, that's when you start to get yourself in trouble. Um, yeah, you can you can allow a 40, 50-yard play if you can get the guy down and kind of regroup, but that's what Ohio State didn't do. Those were all big plays that went for touchdowns against Michigan. Looking at all three levels of this Ohio State defense, who are the guys that stand out? Who are the guys that, say, Georgia fans that listen to this podcast maybe want to know these names because they may hear them a good bit on Saturday? Yeah, JT Tumalau is probably the guy uh, in terms of the defensive line. He had the huge game against uh, Penn State where multiple sacks, two interceptions, returned one of the interceptions for a touchdown. One of the interceptions, he was dropped back in coverage, looked like a defensive back when he broke on the ball. Um, you know, the kid was, you know, was, was recruited by everybody in the country, um, you know, came down, I think, to Oregon, Ohio State and Alabama and uh, picked Ohio State. And, and he's been very good. They, they I think they are still trying to figure out the best way to maximize him because it hasn't been consistent every week. But you're not going to get that type of Penn State performance from anyone every week. A um, couple other guys in the defensive line, Zach Harrison, senior defensive end, was a five star kid out of Columbus has really finally started to play that way this year. Uh, you know, he he's doesn't always get to the quarterback or, or make the play, but he's kind of the guy that sets things up with, with some of the stuff he does really long athletic, um, you know, hard to get around that type of player. And then um, I wrote about Michael Hall, the defensive tackle. He's a guy who's been banged up for much of the year and Ohio state's kind of had him on a pitch count. I think against Michigan state right before the bye week, he played 11 snaps or something like that and had uh, two and a half sacks and five tackles. So really productive when he's been on the field, just hasn't been on the field a lot, but you know, can clog up the middle. He's I think going to be crucial for this linebackers. They play two linebackers. So uh, pretty easy there. Tommy Eichenberg, who last year struggled a lot, but has really blossomed under Jim Knowles, you know, a guy who I think most people thought would be a Butkus award finalist. I think he only ended up being a semifinalist. And Steel Chambers, who originally started his career at Ohio State as a uh, running back, shifted to linebacker last year and has just kind of gotten better and better and better. Um, I think, again, Jim Knowles, who coaches the linebackers in addition to being the defensive coordinator, has really helped both of them. The secondary is where I think there's probably the biggest issues. And obviously the, the questions are going to be asked about who covers this these tight ends for Georgia. Lathan Ransom is a guy who's done that. Um, when they played Michael Mayer of Notre Dame, um, when they played Wisconsin, who had a couple tight ends, clearly not what Georgia's got, but he's a guy. Ronnie Hickman played that sort of slot role last year, but has moved back to more of a, a traditional kind of free safety. He's a guy who I think will be a high NFL draft pick, first three-round type of guy. Um, the cornerbacks is, is a big question. Uh, there, there's been a lot of injuries. Denzel Burke was a freshman All-American last year, has not played nearly as well this year, broke his hand at one or finger one point, one point this season, missed a game. You wonder how much that bothered him. Cameron Brown was the player who missed the tackle against Michigan. Again, up and down type of season. Um, so I think you know the, the, the secondary is there to potentially be exploited. 
I think that's probably the weakest point of the defense. You know, again, I think maybe getting healthy will, will help some of them. Jordan Hancock is a guy who was hurt most, most of the year, but we heard really good things coming into the season. We just haven't seen it. You know, he, he hasn't been out there enough for us to say, oh, yeah, that's the guy the coaches have been talking about. So, uh, and I believe he's a Georgia kid that, uh, you know, will certainly, if he's healthy, be excited to play back home. Yeah, you mentioned him and also Still Chambers, who played yeah. at Blessed Trinity for the uh, anyone listening. Uh, several, I mean, a few guys uh, with Georgia ties uh, on this team. Uh, I always like to ask this question, Patrick, for uh, beat writers of opposing teams. When you look at Georgia on either side of the ball, what is your biggest question about Georgia? What, what sort of intrigues you going into a game like this? Well, I think Stetson Bennett is is super intriguing. Um, I remember watching that Oregon game. Uh, obviously, that was a while back, but just like, okay, obviously he won the national championship. How how do you repeat as a guy? And you know, obviously I haven't covered him or, or paid as close attention as, as many people listening. But you know, can can this be real? Like, is is he legitimate? And I think he's shown this year he is. And I'm watching the Oregon game and just like, how is he doing this? Like he's you know, he's not Justin Fields, but he's out there playing like Justin Fields did. And, you know, credit to him. I, I thought it was interesting listening to him talk at the Heisman. I, I thought it was interesting listening to him talk there. So he's really interesting to me, just that story. And I, I know Georgia fans are probably sick of hearing it, um, but I think it's been interesting for Ohio State fans to hear more about it uh, these last few weeks. Um, I, I will certainly be interested to see how Ohio State attacks this Georgia secondary. I think that's probably with the receivers and CJ Stroud. Um, you look at the numbers, Georgia, that's probably the most vulnerable point of Georgia's defense. So, you know, do how, how does Ohio state game plan for that? I think will be interesting. And, and obviously the, the flip side of that, what does Georgia do? Um, you know, the narrative that I think has gone around is look at what LSU, LSU threw all over Georgia, but obviously that game was, was pretty much in the bag pretty early on. So of course LSU is going to throw and that changes your defense. I don't think this will be quite the same unless Georgia gets out to a big lead. So those are the two things that I guess interest me. I've, I've, I've been intrigued about for this game. When you look at Saturday, what has to go right for Ohio state? And if you want to give a score prediction, go for it. If not, just talk about what uh, needs to go the Buckeyes way in order to have a chance of advancing. Yeah, well, uh, just what I mentioned, I think they've got to hit on some big pass plays. Um, I think that pass game has to work. I was talking to one of the other writers here, and he's like, you know, especially if Mayan's not playing, does Ohio State just throw it 50 times and, you know, try and try and exploit the that secondary as much as they can? Um, I don't think they'll do that, but I think that certainly has to, to, to be part of the game plan to at least test that throughout the game, uh, take some deep shots, hit on some deep shots if you're Ohio State and, and you're going to win. I think Ryan Day was, was kind of criticized for coaching tight against Michigan, and so I think that's got to – that can't happen. I don't think you can play not to lose this game. You just got to go out and, and, and coach it. Um, and then finally, the defense can't give up those, those big plays. Look, if Michigan was able to win the game because of it, I certainly think Georgia can – You've got to limit those. I mean, I think that's a key for any any game of this magnitude, right? The the big plays were one way or the other are probably going to change how this outcome is. Um, I haven't done a score prediction yet. We just got the email from our guy who runs all that. I think I'm going to go, you know, I think Georgia will win in a close game. I think Ohio State will, will you know, show up for this game. I think it will be better final score-wise than the Michigan game was. You know, maybe like – 
35, 28 or, you know, something along those lines, but I've got to sit down and do the numbers and whatnot, but we'll have that on the site. But yeah, I'm, I, I have the whole time leaned towards Georgia, but I do think it will be a competitive game. Um, you know, assuming again, Ohio state doesn't just implode with those big plays. Yeah, you got to do the Steve Kornacki and really crunch the numbers, yeah. make sure you get it in. Uh, Patrick, I think you're looking at my notes. So I was on the College Football Daily podcast the other day with 247. I said 35-27 Georgia okay. wins this game. And uh, for the people listening, um, we'll do our predictions on the site on Friday. But a little uh, sneak preview, a, a little nugget for everybody listening. Kip Adams has Georgia 35-24. Rusty Manziel has Georgia 37-31. So, really, uh, with all four of us, um, it it really looks like it should be an exciting game. Um, Well, Patrick, we'll get ready to wrap this up uh, before we get out of here. I'll let everybody know what you guys have uh, cooking up, stories, podcasts, all that good stuff, because, um, as uh, you well know, uh, all the subscribers on our site can go check out y'all's content and make sure that they're up to speed on Ohio State before the game uh, Saturday night. Yeah, there's been plenty of stuff, uh, just like you guys have done throughout the week. I've been kind of monitoring uh, the stuff on your site just so I don't miss anything. Um, Yeah, we've got plenty of stuff over there. You're going to be on our podcast, which will be up later today. So we'll we'll kind of reverse this. Um, Dave Biddle and I will do some Ohio State talk first, and then we'll have you on for the second half of it. So that's down the pipeline. Um, Plenty of stuff still to come. I'm going to be writing about some of the stuff we just kind of touched on how Ohio State can handle these tight ends, um, what what needs to happen offensively. I think I asked a lot of the the Ohio State players and coaches, look, the, the burden of knowing you have to score 35, 40 points probably to win this game, coming off a Michigan game where you scored 21 in the first half, or 20 in the first half, don't get in the end zone as much as you want, and then only score three points in the second half. So um, that's something I'm working on. I can't tell you what Dave and Steve are working on because – they don't tell me what they're working on unless it's conflicting with me. So uh, I'm as surprised as you are, but plenty of stuff on there if people want to read about the Buckeyes for sure. We'll, we'll get out of here on that. Very much appreciate Patrick taking the time. Very busy time of the year down here in Atlanta, but uh, great insight on Ohio State and enjoying uh, and really excited uh, to pop on with you guys and talk about this matchup on the other side. But we'll wrap up this episode. Appreciate everybody who watched this live, everybody who has listened to this after the fact. Until next time, take care.